would turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a passage here. It goes along with the scripture reading that was just read for us from John chapter 17 about Jesus' prayer for unity. That the believers, that those who believe in Him through the words of the apostles, that they would be one as He was one with the Father. This passage in Ephesians chapter 4 also talks about unity. And we see here what Paul says in verse 3, that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The New Testament in passages like this, the one from our reading this morning and in many other places, emphasizes unity. A few months back we had a lesson, it's actually one, a requested topic about the things that would destroy a congregation from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we talked about what we need to guard against so that the church isn't split up and, and fractured and, and eventually come to, at least the church in this place, come to nothing. But we need instead to have unity in the church. However, there is, in the religious world, this idea uh, we're going to talk about this morning that's along the lines of unity, but as we're going to see, it's not the same type of unity that the Bible talks about. It's this idea of ecumenism. And this is widespread throughout the religious world, even if this particular term isn't what people use to describe it. This is what we see in the religious world, that this unity that's not based on what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, that there is one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's not based on that, but instead it's based on the fact that we just simply want to be united. And so we're going to ignore all these other things in order to have our unity. What we're going to talk about here this morning, this idea of ecumenism, is very popular today. But I want us to make sure that we understand the difference between this and what the Bible teaches about unity. Because we're going to encounter this in our everyday lives, especially as we interact with people in the religious world who have different ideas and go to different types of churches. We're going to encounter this idea of ecumenism. So I want us to understand what this is. So to start with, what is ecumenism? What is it that we're talking about? Again, this particular word is not something that a lot of people use. You might have heard the term before or something like it. But what is what are we talking about when we, when we talk about this? But ecumenism, what it is, is the movement to promote unity among various religious groups despite differences in doctrines and practices. And that's the key to this. We would be all for unity among all religious groups, but unity that's based on what we read in Ephesians chapter 4. This unity is based on, well, or ignores those differences that we have. We have differences in doctrines and practices, but we're going to ignore all of that. Typically, you have this idea of ecumenism focusing on 
so-called Christian denominations, that we want to have all of these together, Baptists, Lutherans, Methodists, and all of this, we're all together under this same group. But sometimes the ecumenical movement is larger than that and would include other types of faiths beyond just those who claim to be Christians. But this is seen in cooperations among different religious groups. They have different outreach activities or ministries or other events that they they work on together. You have all these different churches come together to, to support one another in these events or to work together in these events. And many people in the world see this idea as being unquestionably good. That, of course, this is a good thing. Of course, this is something that is we should be striving for because, after all, it's promoting unity. That's the idea behind it. But, again, this unity that we see in ecumenism is not the unity that's described in the Scriptures. We're going to notice the difference here in just a minute. But first, why is there such a push for this, especially now? Why is there a push to ignore differences? Well, it doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or you know, whatever it might be. None of that matters because we're all the same. We're all Christian. We're all on the, on the same side. Why is there such a push for this today? Well, from the scripture reading this morning, John chapter 17, it was read Jesus' prayer that he prayed that for the Father that all those who would believe in him through the words of the apostles, that they would all be one. Those who advocate for this say, well, we're just, we just want to fulfill the Lord's desire here. He prayed for unity, and he did. They said, well, we just want to, to help carry out this unity. And so it doesn't matter if you're part of a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or a Catholic church or whatever, we can all work together. We can all we can all be one, and then that's what Jesus is praying for. We're going to see the difference between what Jesus prayed for and this movement here in a minute. But those who push for it say, "Well, this is we're trying to carry out what Jesus is praying for here." But also, and I think this is why it's this is becoming more of a problem, is because as the world becomes more wicked and more hostile toward anything that resembles Christianity, because the enemies of Christ aren't going to differentiate between those who are truly following Him and those who are claim to be following Him. They don't make a differentiation between those two groups. So as the world becomes more wicked, and there's more hostility toward those who claim to follow Christ, ecumenism provides all these ones who claim to be Christians with more support and more encouragement that we have a greater sense of, of brotherhood together because we have these other ones who are against us, who are opposed to us. And so now we can, we can have that strength in numbers because it allows all of these Christians to prevent a, or present a stronger front in battles over social issues. That generally speaking, you have... You have a lot of these groups who generally hold the same views regarding different social issues, whether it's abortion or homosexuality or, or things like that. And the world, who has rejected God, they push for all of these things and say, no, we want to have all these kinds of things. Well, ecumenism says, well, we can, we can be united against these type of things. So as the world gets more wicked, we can 
be united to try to stop that or try to prevent this from getting any worse. There's strength in numbers. So you have this idea of ecumenism. Well, it doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter what you believe because we can all stand together anyway. We can all be united anyway. We can all work together anyway. So that's why there's this push today, and it's not new, but why it seems to be getting stronger as the world gets more wicked and more corrupt. Those who are those who claim to be Christians say, well, we've got to band together. We need to hold together, and we need to, to fight back against this. Well, what does the Bible say about ecumenism? Surprisingly, the Bible doesn't say anything about ecumenism. You won't find that word in the Bible, and you won't see this idea of what we're talking about, but there's a reason for that. There's a reason why the Bible doesn't specifically, it does in principle, we're going to talk about that, but it does not specifically say anything about this. And that is because there were no different denominations in the first century. Ecumenism is about, well, we ignore our denominational differences. We ignore that, well, you go to this church and I go to this church and none of that matters because we all claim to be Christians and we're standing you know, on the other side. The world is over here and we're over here. There were no different denominations in the first century. There was no Baptist church. There was no Methodist church. There was no Presbyterian church. <coughs> there were no different denominations in the first century. As we, as was read in the scripture this morning, <clears throat> got a tickle in my throat. But as we read in the scripture reading this morning, Jesus prayed for unity. That he wanted those who would follow him and follow the words of his apostles. He wanted them to be united. We read it here in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Bible teaches we are to have unity with one another. But it's the unity of the Spirit, Ephesians 4 3 says. Ephesians 4 13 says that we are to attain to the unity of the faith. That's the unity that we're striving for, not this idea of ecumenism. That says, well, we are going to ignore all these things. And it doesn't matter what denomination you belong to because we're all going to be on the same side. We're all on the same team. When we can all work together, we can all do all these things. There's a difference between what these passages teach and this concept of ecumenism. So what is it? What is the unity that the Lord wants us to have? And how is this contrasted with ecumenism? And this idea that people have, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, sometimes called unity in diversity. That term is sometimes used. What is the difference between the unity that the Bible talks about, the unity that the Lord wants us to have, and the unity that is found in ecumenism? Well, again, John chapter 17 We've you know mentioned this, but go back to and read that passage again. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. This unity that we have is based upon the word that was taught by the apostles. 
Again, Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. He is praying to the Father shortly before his crucifixion. And he, has, he had been praying up to this point for his apostles, these ones that, that were going to be out in the world that he wanted them to be protected. But now he's looking broader than that. So he's not, I'm not just praying for the apostles who have been with me during this time. He says, I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their word, which would include us today. He wants us to be one. But in praying that we would be one, we can't detach that from what he said in verse 20, that we believe through their word. It's based upon the word that the apostles taught. And it's the same type of unity. It says, They may be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That there is perfect harmony between Jesus, the Son, and God the Father. Perfect unity between them. He's praying, I want my followers to have the same type of unity. Well, that's going to be based upon the word that the apostles taught. Ecumenism and that movement says, well, we have to ignore some of the things the apostles taught because we're going to disagree on those things. And we don't see, th see things the same way as, as what, you know, when we look at what the apostles taught about whether it's the plan of salvation or the worship of the church or observance of the Lord's Supper or any number of things, we don't agree on what the on the things that the apostles taught, so we have to ignore those things so that we can still have unity. Jesus says, no, the unity that I want you to have has this as the foundation of what the apostles taught. It is based upon that. They believe in me through their word. Not just they believe in me and they ignore the words of the apostles. They believe in me through their word. Unity the Lord wants us to have is based upon that word, the message of the apostles. And this message is for the world. Remember the Great Commission back in Mark chapter 16. When Jesus, before his ascension, he gave his apostles the Great Commission. And he said in verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel all creation. And he said in verse 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Similar in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, where he said, Go make disciples of all the nations. The way they make disciples is by doing what he said in verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We are to follow that message. And as we go out, and the apostles go out and make disciples, and we become disciples, we do it based upon their teaching. And then Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, you then, after you make disciples, you teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So you have this unity based upon what the apostles taught. The apostles were told, you go into all the world. You take the gospel. You preach that to every creature, everyone under heaven. This message is for them. And then once they believe it, once they obey it, then you teach them to observe everything that I've commanded. This is what we are expected to do as his disciples. 
but this was for everyone. Ecumenism says, well, no, it's you know, one message is not for everyone. Everyone is going, can believe different things. Everyone can hold to different standards, and we can still be united anyway, even though we're following all these different standards. Jesus said, no, the apostles, you are going to teach the same thing. You are going to go and take this message to all the world, and then you're going to teach them to do what I have instructed you to do. And along with that, you look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, when the apostles went from place to place preaching the gospel, they didn't alter the message and think that, well, this over here, as we go to to this church or we go to this city, you know, they have these this certain idea about about these things and and somewhere else has another idea and so we're going to change the message to make sure that that it's appealing to people we don't offend people we don't run people off or anything like that no first corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 paul told the brethren in corinth and remember the history of the church at corinth as the letters were written to them they had all sorts of issues and all sorts of problems that they had to deal with it would have been very easy for paul when he gets to corinth say, well, I don't want to offend people, so I'm just not going to say certain things about you know, whatever it is that they had wrong. Chapter 5 talks about the man who had his father's wife, and they were just going along with that and did, acted like it did not matter. You had this uh, the question about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. You had people who were dividing the church and following after different people. You had sin that existed and ones that had come out of sin, all these things were, were going on. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Paul didn't say, well, I'm going to you know, teach a message that's tailored to you. I might teach something, some, something different when I go somewhere else. But I'm going to teach a message tailored to you. And then that stripped down, watered down message, then you can unite with others based on that. No. Verse 17, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child and Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Same message everywhere he went, and the same message that he, he knew Timothy was going to come and teach the same message. Timothy wasn't going to say, well, I know Paul said this, but I'm, I'm going to teach this instead. They were teaching the same message. When Paul went from place to place, he preached the same message. They preach the same message everywhere in every church. Ecumenism, though, says, well, no, different churches are going to teach different things. The Baptist church is going to teach one thing. Methodist church is going to teach something else. The Presbyterian church is going to teach something else. But it's all okay. It's, it's all fine. That it doesn't matter. That you can have, we just ignore all of these differences. And we can all have our own opinions on, on what we're going to believe. But then we can still have unity. Now, Paul didn't change his message for the different churches he went to. He says, I teach the same thing everywhere in every church. Ecumenism cannot have that. They cannot teach the same thing everywhere in every church because they have to have the things that are tailored for that church and what they want to hear. Also, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that we think about the unity that we are to have, the unity that the Bible talks about, that there is one body and one spirit and one hope and all those things that were mentioned. Brethren were to hold to that same standard. 
Over in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul told Timothy, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Other translations have the phrase, Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That there is a standard or there is a pattern that has been given to us. And it's the, the standard, the pattern of sound words. Again, going back to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. They would believe in me through their word, through the words of the apostles. And that's what Paul says here, the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me. The apostles were teaching this message. And you have this standard, this pattern that was delivered, and they were to hold fast to it. And not only was Timothy to do this, but you look a few verses later, chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul told Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul, he had this message, these doctrines, these teachings that he held to, that he taught. He says, Timothy, I'm teaching them to you. Now you take those, you teach them to someone else. They were to take them and teach them to someone else and on down the line that the message was not going to change from generation to generation. And even today, we are to teach the same things that the apostles taught, which is why we're going to the New Testament, which is why we're trying to follow what the New Testament teaches. And if we find that, well, you know, we may have gotten something wrong, well, then we change to go back to what the New Testament teaches. And from generation to generation, this is the standard that we follow. We hold fast to that pattern. Ecumenism, though, says that, well, if there's a new doctrine, then we... That's okay. We'll tolerate that. And we'll accept that. And you, if you have something different and you believe something, you teach something, you practice something that's different from what we find in the standard that it is found in the New Testament, well, that's okay. You can do that. And, and we'll, accept, we'll accept that anyway. And someone else wants to do something completely different. So we, on the first day of the week, as an example, we observe the Lord's Supper each first day of the week. Because that's the pattern that we find in the scriptures. That they observed the Lord's Supper. They did that in the assembly. They had certain elements. It was the bread, which represented the body of Christ. The fruit of the vine, which represented the blood of Christ. They did that in the assembly. They did it on the first day of the week. They did that every first day of the week. We can infer from passages like Acts chapter 20. But then other churches will say, well, we can observe the Lord's Supper on, on Saturday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. We can do it on Saturday. Or other churches will say, well, we don't have to do it every Sunday. We can do it you know, once a quarter or once a year or just whenever we feel like doing it. Then we can, we can do that. And then others will say, well, no, we, you know, we're not going to you know, partake of these emblems. We're just going to have a big feast. You know, we're going to have a big meal. And we're going to do that instead. And you have all these different ideas that say, well, all that's, you know, we just ignore those differences. No, Paul says you hold fast to the pattern. And generation to generation, you teach that same pattern. You teach that same standard. And well, how, we think, well, is this really all that important? Well, we look at 2 John, chapter, or 2 John verses 9 through 11, and we see how important this is that there's a warning that those who would go beyond that standard would lose their fellowship with God. 2 John verse 9 says, Anyone who goes too far does not abide in the teaching of Christ, which means does not remain within the confines of the Word of God, of what He said, of what He taught, of, again, the apostles, they went out carrying out the Great Commission, 
teach them to observe all that I commanded. Well, that's carries on from generation to generation, what we saw in the last point. Well, there are some who go too far and don't abide in the teaching of Christ. He says he does not have God, which means he does not have fellowship with God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. The one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We go beyond what the scriptures teach. We don't abide in the teaching of Christ. John says we lose our fellowship with God. And if we accept those who have rejected the message of God, they go beyond it. We receive them, well then we are participating with them. We have fellowship with them, which means that we jeopardize our fellowship with God because we have fellowship with Him as we walk in His commandments, as we remain in His teaching. But then someone else over here who has gone beyond that, they've lost their fellowship with God. Well, we want to be over there in in fellowship with them. Well, that breaks our fellowship with God. Ecumenism says, well, no, we can maintain fellowship with all those people. They don't have to remain in this certain body of doctrine. They can go beyond that. We're not going to condemn that. We're not going to say anything's wrong. And we're going to continue to have fellowship with them. Over in Romans chapter 16, you think about those who would teach a message that was contrary to what the apostles taught. Paul said over in Romans 16 and verse 17 that you have to mark and avoid those people. Romans 16, 17, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, which was taught by the apostles, which you learned and turn away from them. Do not go along with them. Don't continue to have fellowship with them. But not only does it say you avoid them, it does say that, but he says something else too. It says you mark them and avoid them. You take note of them. You make sure you know who they are and that others know who they are so that they can be avoided, so they don't lead other people astray and so that we are not led astray. Ecumenism says, no. well, we can welcome people who teach different doctrines. It really doesn't matter. That we can we can have different views and different different ideas and we're going to have fellowship anyway. We're going to accept everyone anyway. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, going away from doctrine and teaching and more into practice here, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said that those who would not follow the traditions that were handed down by the apostles, not practice those things that they taught, they were also to be avoided just as those false teachers were. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6 says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Avoid those. Do not keep company with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about this, where you have someone who is in sin and refuses to give up their sin. You cannot continue in fellowship with them. You cannot even eat with such a one. Because they, they have rejected God and are not interested in, in serving God anymore. You cannot continue to welcome that person. You keep away from them. Verse 14, it says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him. So that he will be put to shame. 
Verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. We don't do this out of you know, mean-spirited or, or hatred or anything like that. We are trying to help that person because we're trying to bring them back. But we can't just ignore the sin. We can't ignore the problem. But ecumenism says, no, we can ignore that. We can continue to extend fellowship to those who don't practice the things that we find in the, in the New Testament, who don't follow those apostolic traditions, the traditions which you receive from us. This is not just any tradition. This is not human tradition. This is not you know, what, you know, what we have decided. This is what the apostles handed down. Those are the traditions that we follow. What the apostles handed down, because again, going back to that first point, our unity is based upon what the apostles taught. They taught by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were the official spokesmen for Christ, his ambassadors, as 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20 says. So this is the unity that the Lord wants us to have. Ecumenism just throws all of that out. It says, no, it doesn't matter what the apostles taught. We can, we can believe different things. That we can have different messages for different places, different churches, and, and we can still accept one another. There's not a pattern. There's not a standard that we, you know, we don't have anything we need to follow. And if someone goes beyond what the scriptures teach, we can still accept them. We can still have fellowship with them. doesn't matter if they teach something that is contrary to what Paul or the others taught, we can still accept them. Or if they practice things that are not found in the Scriptures, or they directly go against what the Bible teaches, well, we can still welcome them. We can still fellowship them. Ecumenism is not the unity that is described in the New Testament. And again, not everyone is going to use that word. But this concept is everywhere in the religious world. But it is not the unity that is described in the New Testament. It is the type of union that the apostles warned against, that we are not to have fellowship with the ones who do this or do that. So rather than accepting anyone and everyone, regardless of our differences, we need to, again, going back to the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're striving for. Where there is one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We don't want to compromise what the scriptures teach. We don't want to say, well, we want, we want fellowship with everyone. And so we have to ignore some of these things. We can't do that. We have to follow the pattern that is found in the Word of God and encourage other people to do the same. And as the world becomes more hostile toward anything resembling Christianity, there's going to be a greater temptation to just go along with what we're talking about here. But we want to make sure that we remain faithful to the Lord no matter what, no matter how difficult it becomes. And no matter who does or does not stand with us, we want to be faithful to Christ and strive for that unity that He prayed for. So as we close the lesson and extend the invitation, we want to invite anyone who is not a Christian to become one. Become a Christian is simply to do what the apostles taught. From the beginning in Acts chapter 2, 
They taught those who believed that Jesus was the Christ that they needed to repent and be baptized to have their sins washed away. And as we studied in the book of Acts, as we're in the middle of that study now on Sunday mornings, we see a consistent message, a consistent pattern. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, repent of your sins, confess His name, be baptized into Christ. If you need to do that this morning, then there is an opportunity for you to do that. If you have done that and become a Christian but have not continued to faithfully serve Him, we would encourage you to repent of your sin, to to pray to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And if we can help you in any way, we'd be happy to do that. But whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.